This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. everybody good morning everybody good morning everybody happy sunday it is now tuesday february 1st when i am recording this my sister's birthday is in two days and i don't think my sister listens to this podcast at all i i, I know she does not listen to this podcast at all i don't even know if she have if she knows i have a podcast at all so happy birthday to my sister jackie turning 23 on this thursday february 3rd and uh, hope you have a happy birthday. Anyway, so you guys don't probably care about my sister's birthday, so you're here to see if you are here at all, if I'm not just talking to myself, what I am going to talk about today. So as it happens, this is not a planned coincidence. I promise I am not this involved in this man's life. But Tom Brady announced his retirement from professional football this morning. He The rumors got, got, got kind of got leaked by uh, someone who told them to Adam Schefter. Adam Schefter blasted out in the world, lit the professional sports world, the professional football world on fire. And, you know, everyone was like, oh my God, Brady's retiring. What are we going to do? What are we going to do this? Tom was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Tom's dad was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He hasn't said anything yet. But today he has officially come out on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on all his social media. And has said that I am retiring from the National Football League and I am going to pursue my other ventures. He has an NFT collection house that he has started that he has invested in that he's going to. He has his TB12 workout supplements, his, his supplement brand, his gear brand, his gyms, all this other stuff. So Brady's going to be fine. He's going to be very well taken care of. He's going to make the NFL in, or the NFL Hall of Fame, excuse me, in about five years. And I, he's going to beat Brett Favre's time because apparently uh, the selection committee for the NFL Hall of Fame, when they were evaluating if Brett Favre should make it into the Hall of Fame, it took them all of nine seconds of deliberation to say that Brett Favre should be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm assuming that Tom Brady will take less time. We will have to see when that happens. But so I did not plan Tom Brady's retirement today, obviously, but the topic that I'm going to discuss today is going hand in hand with the thing that I think the people who really, really respect Tom Brady and love Tom Brady and studied Tom Brady and knew about Tom Brady was that he was very passionate about what he did. And honestly, and you know, you can look this up on the LinkedIn post, especially that's what the first one I saw was that Tom basically said, and this is how I kind of had an inkling that he was going to retire after he um, lost last weekend or two weekends ago, I should say, to the Los Angeles Rams who are now heading to the Super Bowl. He said that as soon, he has said this for years, if I do not have the fire to play professional football anymore, that is when I will decide to retire. And that is the first thing he let off the LinkedIn post with. He said, the fire to compete is not 100% there anymore, so I would be doing a disservice to myself, to my teammates, to everybody else. 
and I am going to step away from the game that I love and focus on the things that I do most, notably my family, my businesses, my brands, everything else. He's doing a lot of commercials. He's doing a lot of endorsements. He's doing a lot of this and that thing. So that's great. And that's, I'm happy for Tom. I'm happy for the league. I'm happy for everybody because we got to witness greatness for such a long time. However, I do think that Tom Brady is an extreme example. And I do think that what a lot of us discuss as quote unquote passion is very overrated in a lot of senses. And that is the topic of today's post. And that's what we are going to get into. This was recorded a long time ago. This was recorded in November, or written, I should say. I didn't have a podcast then. November 7th of 2020. So we'll see how this ages. I haven't really looked at this one in a while. So we'll see how it has turned out and is residing now. So here we go. In December of 2018, the normally annoying yet wildly popular Gary Vaynerchuk was a guest on The Corp, a podcast hosted by Alex Rodriguez and Big Cat through Barstool Sports. The social media mogul went on the podcast as requested by the two hosts to discuss his media empire, a meteorotic rise to become the hype man of Instagram for every aspiring 20-something with testosterone and a business plan. Gary V, the ever-self-promoter, was more than happy to oblige. I've stated my distaste for Gary V before numerous times. I don't think what he does helps anybody. It only helps himself. He's the classic self-help con artist, constantly giving advice to people and shouting things and saying fuck a lot, those sort of things. He always wants to give solutions, but never wants to deal with problems. He's all fast talk, no slow grind. If you've read every one of my posts, you probably know by now that I could not disagree with something more than what he preaches. It's why I believe that the wide majority of the self-help industry is complete and utter dog shit. But, surprisingly, Gary Vee's most controversial point, or at least the most controversial I've ever seen him in, was the one that I most agreed with. Funny how it works when you deflect from the stigma of nonsense to get some truth. Big Cat and Rodriguez began to ask Gary Vee about the youth of the country and their educations, particularly pertaining to college. Gary Vee then did his trademark Gary Vee explosion. He dropped a nuke on the concept of college. He debunked and destroyed every aspect of it, obliterating in spectacular fashion. It wasn't like the Hindenburg snafu or Hiroshima. Okay, so it didn't go like that. What Gary Vee really said was that kids need to understand that college isn't for everyone, and that you need to know yourself before you make that big of a commitment. Quote, if your parents are forcing you to go to college because it makes them feel good and you have to take on debt, it's time to stand up and have that conversation, end quote, were his words. And wise words they were, in my opinion. He advised other paths that were easily accessible, but not yet remotely traveled as much, as much as they should be. This is a very reasonable statement, I thought. One of the most reasonable that I've ever heard before side of his face, actually. Yet the media in our ruling class did what they usually do and burned him at the stake. Mark Cuban called him an idiot. Several major mobsters on Twitter called his comments, quote, troubling. College is the only way, some claimed. Michelle Obama famously claimed once that the only thing that people cannot take away from you is your education. And I've always, always found that statement odd. I like, well, I, I said I like Mark Cuban in this post. He's gone down in significant favor from me ever since. I don't have any major issue with Michelle Obama, although her getting school lunches while I was still eating school lunches will always leave a, quote, pun intended, bad taste in my mouth. But this was troubling commentary from them not from Gary V. I have my problems with Gary V. those listed above being the primary. But I completely agree with the comments he made that day on the corp. I was stunned at how many feathers he ruffled. It shook up the world. People slung arrows at him like crazy. And this man has said much crazier shit than this, let me tell you, it was all really, really bizarre to me. The comments he made on the podcast about college were, of course, about college. But Gary V. meant to make a larger point, I would like to think. That point is that it's an utter waste of your time to try to put a square peg into a round hole. 
Just because you, you want 2 plus 2 to equal 5 doesn't mean that it still doesn't equal 4 when you do the math. As much as you want something to work, it doesn't mean shit. If the fit isn't there, the solution that you want to happen hasn't even the slightest possibility of it materializing. A lot of people, especially older folks, don't get this, and I understand their reasoning. They're removed from the situation. They want to see their kids do well. They think that just with a little hard work and some perseverance, all kids can get into college and quote, make something of themselves. Our culture, mostly propagated by our aforementioned media and ruling class, peddle the same things to the masses, and for the most part, it works. But it is a lie. As I said to open this podcast, I have two siblings, a brother and a sister. My sister, as I've mentioned before, is autistic. This disqualifies her from any major positions that could be provided by college, as it should be. My sister simply does not have the capacity that other people do to perform at one of these positions intellectually. Is it fair? Absolutely it is. My sister does not deserve one of these positions. This is not her fault, but it doesn't make it untrue. It may be unfair that she got autism, because my parents didn't do anything wrong as far as I can tell, but it doesn't make it unfair that she doesn't get to be the CEO of a company. This is okay, because my sister does not want one of those positions. She would much rather be around family watching Sesame Street and doing puzzles. That is her round hole and a round, round peg and a round hole. We do not force her to be something that she is not. That's something the that diversity inclusion fanatics do not understand. But I haven't mentioned my brother a lot. We're not particularly, quote, close, most because we're very different in how we conduct ourselves and how we choose to live our lives. But my brother is a good man, better than I in many categories. A big reason for this is that he stuck his middle finger up to the exact trend that Gary Vee was mentioning in his rant to Aaron Rodgers and Big Cat. It's been noted in numerous studies that younger siblings learn from their older siblings, especially during their most formative years of youth. My brother, being younger than my sister, was no exception to the trend. However, being that my sister was cognitively disabled, this rubbed off on my brother adversely. He was always slower to get things than the rest of his peers his age, some of whom were incredibly intelligent and remarkably sharp. My brother was not cognitively disabled, but he was just a little bit more behind the curve than anyone else. Being of the typical Midwestern ilk, my brother and parents, who were excellent about helping him, defaulted to the societal expectation. Just work a little harder, you'll eventually catch up, that type of thing. And work he did. My brother worked like a dog, harder than I'd ever seen anyone do anything so before. I felt guilty when I studied less than he did, yet still pulled grades much higher than he had hoped. He got beat down by that societal expectation like the Italian Stallion in Rocky. But in the words of Tony Duke Evers in the sequel, Rocky II, the best one of the franchise, by the way, quote, the man kept coming after you. My brother was relentless. He made it through high school doing more work than he ever should have been required of a young person who wants to get a high school education. My brother stressed him out to the point where, at the end of the year, he burned himself out to the point of no return. He was fucking done with school. College as if, see you never. My brother, after much deliberation and fighting of the societal stigma, went to community college for a little bit, hated it, and then chose to enroll in basically what is called the Harvard of Welding, which is the Hobart Institute of Welding Technology in Southern Ohio. Basically, you know, kind of just doing the higher education thing only in the non-higher education setting that is propagated to the masses. So he basically said, fuck you, higher education, I'm taking it to someplace else. So after about 10 months of work, my brother will have the same job prospects and higher pay as nearly everyone else with a four-year degree where they get paid to basically do the exact same shit. He has no debt. He plans to move out after the beer virus and he just moved to Indianapolis in October. He has a steady girlfriend. He's secure within himself. He's very happy. In other words, or Jordan Peterson's, depending on what you reference, his house is in order. 
So let's flip it on my scenario. I went to the second largest public university in the country, totaling some 66,000 undergraduate students that fit in the societal stigma. And you know what I noticed? A ton of insecurity. At first, it was very puzzling to me. This is supposed to be the pinnacle of youth achievement, going to a good college, get a good degree, to get a good job. Yet, why did so many seem so fucking miserable? The answer that I would give is that those, quote, so many, had one of two problems. First, they didn't belong in what they were simply studying, or two, they didn't belong in college at all. They were simply trying to force a square peg into a round hole to achieve some desired externality, pleasing their parents, making a lot of money, etc. And I want to make sure that I'm making it clear that it is okay to want these things. But there is nothing okay about wasting your soul. I was fortunate enough to have the chief risk officer of the Risk Institute, the largest research organization dedicated to the subject of risk management in the country, as a professor of mine my senior year. He had the most difficult, interesting, and terrifying job of anyone I'd ever heard. It was his job to mitigate the risk of the entire campus. Jeffrey Epstein donated money to my university. He had to handle international student policy when COVID was raising hell. I do not envy him and the probably ridiculous amounts of money that he makes. He told our class another mind-blowing statistic one day. The school had been hiring the rate of mental health professionals at 20 times the rate that they had previously. They couldn't keep up with the demand. Their capacity was bottlenecked. More students were killing themselves. We had three within a calendar year who jumped off of parking garages. Our former university president described them all conveniently as, quote, unfortunate accidents. Unfortunate accidents that required steel ropes and cement barriers to prevent, I suppose. These are immensely troubling trends, particularly against young, among young girls and women, excuse me. And I kept wondering why. I thought back to my classes and curriculum to see if I could find a trend. I ended up finding one, one that explains a lot. It is a wolf in sheep's clothing, but a wolf nonetheless. A wolf characterized in one word that deceives much more than it rightfully inspires. Passion. At my university, so much was made of, quote, finding your passion. Chase your dreams, help people, make the world a better place. The altruism made me want to puke all over the inspirational quote-filled walls. Nevertheless, it was a well-intentioned message. But my university forgot about the one word that is completely synonymous with passion, one that no one dares to mention, and that also starts with a P. Pressure. If I had to break down the modern higher education system into one word, that would easily be it. So much pressure is put on these young people, from their parents, from the university, from the market, and from themselves. Helicopter parents run rampant. Anything below an A is unacceptable. Some students decide to throw their in the towel together, do bath salts, and hope and pray that they get handed that $80,000 laminated sheet of paper at the end of four years. There is pressure and passion. When it's so gassed up that it's all people talk about, how could there not be? What should be an experience about growth and development has instead insidiously morphed into breakdown and insecurity. This is not to say that struggle is not valuable. It most definitely is. But there must be a, but there must be a trade-off. My brother, by contrast, does not have this problem at all. He feels no pressure at all, at least from what I can tell. His level of personal security is enviable by all, as is my sister's. He does not have to worry about passion. I don't think he gives a single fuck about it, to be honest with you. Passion is overrated, yet most of us work so hard to find one. It's destroying us. It's giving us death by a thousand comparisons and exposing us to variety, the spice of death. Perhaps society is wrong, and I believe that it is, 
And I believe my siblings are proof of that. But what do we replace it with? This article will hopefully shed some light on that. Throughout the remainder of this podcast, we will discuss why passion is overrated, what we should look for instead, and how we are make how we how and how ugh, can't talk this morning. We make the transition to do it. Now, allow me to start puking all this knowledge out over this podcast-filled computer screen. I've debated on whether to take those jokes out in the blog. By the way, I don't know where I uh, stand on, and I really don't know what. Uh, you know, I, I just, I just don't know. I, I, I try, people. I just don't know if I, uh, I just don't know if I get very far. I do not know if I get very far at all. So we will see. We will see. We will see. We will see. So, to begin our discussion as to why passion is overrated, I believe it would be appropriate to start with some definitions. Passion is a very multifaceted word. There are a lot of contexts and a lot of ways to apply them. I believe two specific ones support my thesis the best, and we will expand on both of them. The first definition of the word is the one that you are most familiar with. The most common definition for the word passion is, quote, intense, driving, or overmastering feeling or conviction, end quote. This is what most people, in my estimation, normally think of when they see the word. It's a gut sense that puts a person on a certain path. It is nearly an overwhelming sense, one that is almost impossible to ignore. But it's also a problem when left unattended or unchecked. The reason for this is the one that I always cite. You cannot control your feelings. You can't. They simply happen. They are subconscious in nature. There is no hope or prayer that can attempt to tame them. The fast brain, as put by Daniel Kahneman in Thinking Fast and Slow, is how we do most things we take for granted, like push a bench press up or slap a mosquito when it hits our flesh. It's very instinctual and highly reactive. Passion, therefore, is the derivative of the fast brain. It's right there in the definition. It's a feeling and a conviction. You know when you have to push a bench press up as soon as it comes down or it will likely crush you, unless you're being a bitch and doing soft weight, that is. You know you have to slap a mosquito when it lands on you, or it will leave you with a bite slash sting and less blood, unless you're being a real man and letting it bite you. Triumph emoji. But, in terms of passion, this is not good in the long run. Most things that are driven by it are... Most things that are driven by it are not. Feeling can only get you so far. So at that point, when I came up with this post, I had made one friend outside of work since moving to Boston. And he's still my friend to this day. I don't know if he's listening to the podcast or not, but AP, shout out to you, buddy. He's a guy about eight years older than me that goes to the same Planet Fitness I do, or went to the same Planet Fitness I do. He's a dog. Big, used to have dreads. Now he has shorter hair. He cuts dreads off. Super funny, nice smile and personality. He's a great guy. He went to the gym at the same ridiculously early time that I did because he wants to lose the weight and get back in shape. He brings his long-term girlfriend with him, and she's lovely also. My friend works as an executive chef and a music producer. He has multiple friends in Atlanta that are pretty mainstream, if that indicates anything. My friend is also a black man. Due to the election conversations that were going on in November of 2020, I was hesitant to bring up anything that could prove to be of a disturbance to him and our friendship. Black folks had a really turbulent year in 2020, in case you didn't know. I didn't want to stir something up that could potentially upset my friend and ruin his lift. But, like normal, I fucked it up. I said something about the election coverage, which went into further conversation on culture. We talked for about 45 minutes in one of the most illuminating conversations I had had at that time in months. What my friend said was what inspired this article. I had the thesis and general thoughts drawn up for some time, but this was the catalyst. My friend said that in the black community, there's a big emphasis on passion in regards to things like getting an education and getting a, quote, good job, much like our friend, question mark, Gary Vaynerchuk said. 
and he believes that it is misguided. The reason for it is exactly what I've already argued. It traps you. It leads you to serving someone else and not yourself. The most stunning observation that he portrayed to me was when he was having a conversation with a coworker who had worked at the same restaurant as him for years. His coworker was asking him what his plans were going to be at the restaurant down the line. And my friend told me that he didn't have any plans to work there down the line. He was aiming up, planning for bigger and better things. His coworker was stunned. Isn't this your passion? He asked. And my friend replied, no. Passion is a trap, he told me. It convinces you wrongly that this is the only thing that is out there for you. My friend is very skilled and a, a very skilled and smart man. He can char steaks just as well as he can mix beets. Of course, it makes sense that he wouldn't stay there. He wants to evolve. We're meant to, according to him and a lot of other smart people. It would be a waste of time for his passion to be a chef in a restaurant for the rest of his life. How boring an existence. What a waste of time. Which leads me to the second definition. If the first definition removes the lock from the door of passion, then the second definition will open the floodgates. But it's an odd definition, one that is not used very often, particularly now in mainstream culture. I'm not one to cite religious text often, although it's changed over the last couple months. But I think this will provide a great context for the non-religious out there as well. The word passion also has a place biblically. It was what was originally called the, quote, Passion of the Christ, where Jesus was crucified and ascended into heaven. Mel Gibson made a really gory movie about it, if you're interested. Jesus went through his passion to sacrifice his soul to save the rest of humanity from being lost forever in the mark of human sin. The word sacrifice is crucial here. When Jesus sacrificed himself at his passion, he gave up the chance to be a human to absolve the world of their sins in the eyes of God. This is a very strong analogy, and one that we should analyze in depth. Think about it. When you think of, quote, passionate people in the modern culture, who comes to mind? Elon Musk certainly does. He stated openly that you need to work 80 hours a week to be hoped to be great at something. Mark Zuckerberg does as well. His company is taking over the world with us paying the price. Riots in a city like Portland have turned into utter, complete and utter anarchy, destroying lives of both people protesting and the people in the city where they are protesting. Crazy conservatives on Facebook have sacrificed their sanity praying at the altar of Trump. I wouldn't want to trade situations with a single one of those people. I don't give a single fuck that him and Jeff Bezos are worth $200 billion in climbing. I don't want to work that hard to make that kind of money. I don't want to take as many steroids and work out as much as Dwayne Johnson. I don't want to stream my name on every other word of a song like DJ Khaled does. There are things that I wish to spread my sacrifices around to. Value economics never lies. Passion is sacrifice. We would be wise to be careful in our choosing of both. This is heinous to do it to people to force passion upon them when they may not want or probably do not need it, particularly the youth who are young and impressionable. You can't be anything you want to be, but you can be multiple things. Simply saying to, quote, find your passion is a lazy argument. It simply bears too much of a cost in order to create that much of a barrier to potential other opportunities. It's a trap, in the words of Admiral Akbar. And allow me to close the section of the podcast with my man Mark Manson. That last paragraph feeds directly into this one, and with good reason. A quote from Mark Manson should justify all of this and lead into the solution. Here it is, quote, The most important things in life are, by definition, non-transactional. And to try to bargain for them is to immediately destroy them. You cannot conspire to create happiness. It is impossible. End quote. Isn't he so dark, it's wonderful. But he's so right, per usual. 
We as a culture need to ditch the feeling of thinking that something is the end-all be-all. That if we just lean into it enough, it will give us something. It will not. We must learn to draw our sustenance in mind, body, and soul from other things. It needs to be more sustainable than a good job or fancy clothes. Those things disappoint in the end because they are specifically not sustainable. Genes wear out. Careers end. Jobs switch in and out. But sustainability can be reached. We just need to look for it in something else. What we need to look for is a value. Not multiple values, but one in particular. The highest value, and one that I talk about most frequently. It has a place and purpose for a particular reason. Self-awareness. Self-awareness is the key to escaping the traps of passion. It should be in everyone's value hierarchy. We desperately need it. During these times in which we live, we cannot afford to have less. There is always, and should always, be room for a little more of it. We need to keep our self-awareness at the highest possible pinnacle of our value hierarchy. The reason is because we need to know when to pivot our passion. Notice that even though I deride and condemn passion, you should not walk through life as a zombie. Of course you should have higher goals and habits that help you get to those goals. You should have a higher purpose in life, one that helps yourself and other people frequently, and preferably, honestly. I'm not telling you you need to be a self-serving jackass who hates everything and everybody. What I'm telling you not to be is forcing something where it can't be forced, because that usually never ends well. You cannot and should not be obsessed with something to the point that you feel only need to pursue that one thing. Remember Mark Manson, non-transactional. You should not pursue something when it feels like you are deserving of something in return. Marriages and having children are examples of this in action that you see every day. If you're doing something to please someone for any reason other than to please someone, you probably should not be doing that thing. And the same goes for your passion. The reason that the deployment of your self-awareness is so crucial here is that you need to know when to change. Think about it. Which master do you serve? Yourself or your, quote, passion? The answer should quite obviously be the first one. The second you let your passion become your master is the second you surrender your soul. You become some sort of aholic. A workaholic, sexaholic, chalkaholic, rude political commentaryaholic, whatever the fuck. But when you submit to yourself as your one and only master, you can see the pitfalls before they come to bite you in the ass. You can see that going to your third party on a Saturday night and bombing tequila shots every weekend just to put up Instagram stories probably isn't that good of an idea. You can see that wasting a whole bottle of somewhat expensive lotion while jerking off to Dave Rubin videos is probably a waste of money, sexual energy, stamina, and time. You can see that doing a ton of steroids and beefing into the gym for a month will only lead to a flab, stretched skin, and a small dick. Self-awareness, if properly implemented, prevents all of this from happening. It's truly a wonderful thing. It allows you to scale things and measure them for what they actually are. Because remember, passion is sacrifice. If you sacrifice too much for one area that is a transactional thing, you risk giving up your whole being to something that will not serve you in return. Passions, regardless of what they are, blind us to this reality. It could be getting a good job or meeting a hot guy out at a bar. When they're transactional, they're not real. They're simply figments of your imagination that you hope one day become true. But they will not. When we, pigeon our, when we pigeonhole ourselves into one thing, bad things happen. 
cable news, Titanic, the Kardashian family, and other things that hell and Pandora's box have let loose to wreak havoc upon the world. These are things that no sane man or woman would ever wish upon anyone. There is no one thing. There are always other things. There are multiple ways to get fulfillment and happiness. The thing is, we don't want to admit it. But why? The reason, in my estimation, is that a lot of them are boring. It's not sex. It doesn't sell. Well, at least the sex you'll probably be having most of the time with the exception of your birthday or anniversary. Let's be very, very honest here. Brutally honest. Most of the things that you do in life that bring value, and I mean truly bring value, are the things that are boring. Boring things comprise about 95% of your life, and that's probably an understatement. There is nothing passionate about boredom, yet boredom is what we experience for a grand majority of the time. I'm not talking about the typical boredom that you're to like your Tom Hanks and Castaway. This is not being stuck on a desolate island with no civilization to provide you with basic things such as food or water. I'm talking about the things that most people would consider mundane. It wouldn't be a good Instagram post. It wouldn't get you a lot of likes on Twitter. You probably don't get a thrill akin to snorting coke when you're helping your daughter do algebra. You probably don't feel like you have jumper cables hooked up to your loins and you kiss your wife before bed every night. You probably don't feel like you're changing the world when you go over to your parents' house and help them get oriented to their new smart TV. You most likely don't feel like you've conquered the world when you submit a spreadsheet to your boss about the operational efficiencies you've achieved at work by trimming down excess in a distribution center. You most likely do not get a sense of fulfillment when you change bedpans in a trauma unit and get yelled at by a heroin addict when you can't give them a hit. Yet we do these things anyway. There is no passion involved with a single one of these things. There is no intense driving or overmastering feeling with any of them. There is only a slow burn, a small step in a potentially grand direction that is highly dependent on the circumstance and context. There is no gratification, no instant payoff that we can rely on to quench our thirst for passion. There is no immediate material or spiritual gain that we can get from any one of those activities, and potentially thousands more that so many of us do on the regular. But we do them anyways. Because deep down we know. We know the passion is bullshit. We just don't want to admit it. We're so scared of being, quote, boring and, quote, normal that we hold ourselves to an unrealistic standard that we cannot hope to achieve. Everything is a highlight reel. A LeBron James dunk, a Dan Bilzerian Instagram post. Social media is killing us for that very reason. Just watch The Social Dilemma and all of its horror. I wrote a whole post about it. I have a blog if you weren't aware. Yet this is how normal people, and most likely you, live. It's mostly how Bilzerian and LeBron live also. They just don't show you that. Especially Bilzerian. Fuck that guy. Passion is overrated for the simple fact that very little of it exists. The boring, the, the, boring, the mundane, the tedious. That is what comprises our lives. To make peace with that is to make peace with the majority of life itself. There are not just peaks and valleys. There are climbs up and climbs down. Those are not nearly as exciting or fun, but they comprise by far the majority of the path both up and down the mountain. Through self-awareness, we are able to recognize that the boring and mundane are not only there, but useful. And that is where we must pivot and will pivot to combat the myth and dangerous path of passion.
Niccolo Machiavelli, the root word of the word Machiavellian, and many of whom consider the founding of modern-day political science, was different from a lot of people. Up until then, people thought that the primary driver of human behavior was virtue, poised through the twin lenses of Greek reasoning and Judeo-Christian religious teaching. As chronicled by Ben Shapiro on the right side of history, Machiavelli, along with others such as Thomas Hobbes, began to change this formula. Gone were the days of upheld moral standings of the church. The power of the individual and the games they play were now here. Machiavelli and others like him were the pioneers of our modern political systems and the gamesmanship that happens within them. But why? There is clearly nothing virtuous, at least traditionally, about much that he taught. But Machiavelli thought differently, as I mentioned before. He did not believe that virtue was the primary driver of human behavior. He believed it to be something else. Passion. Passion, according to those who believed in its general enforcement, was meant to be coddled and drawn out at all costs. It was, to those who studied it, the crux of human initiation with the rest of the world. But, as we all can tell, hopefully, from reading this far, that is simply not true. The literature proves it to be false. But where to begin to move away from when passion only draws us in? How do we transition away from the maw of the ease of passion? The first thing I would recommend, per usual in these situations, is to better engage the thinking brain. The thinking brain adds as a stopgap to the flow of passion and its vehicle, the feeling brain. The feeling brain is great for when it's needed, but when it's not, it can lead to very bad and destructive behavior if left unchecked. Remember, the feeling brain is always driving the car. It is up to the thinking brain to keep it on course. The dogma of passion is infectious. It can hijack your brain and take everything that is good away from you in a near instant by entrapping you in its clutches. I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to your feeling brain and go towards that, quote, passion. Not at all. What I am saying is that you need to do what makes sense for yourself. Self-awareness is key here. It always is, but especially during this instance. Remember, what master do you serve? Is it yourself or something else that has control over you? Words are powerful, more than people think. The reason there is so much confusion about most everything in our culture today is because of this phenomenon. We don't know what to think anymore because there is too much to comprehend. There are too many people standing by the courage of their convictions for us to ascertain which convictions are true and which ones are not. But by engaging the thinking brain properly, we can tear into the masses and see things objectively. We can see that things that people most think are sincere are actually just propagated talking points. We can see the heat of the moment actually burn us out if we let it. We can see that the thinking brain will deliver us from the traps of societal pressures of passion and lead us onto our own path that we can follow. The truest conviction is the one we hold for ourselves, and we must hold tight to it and press onward. Because the truth is, our ability to pivot has been the human race's greatest advantage. Imagine if we were still spitting on our dicks in caves to think that we could cook food. Well. I don't think that happened, although I'd give our Neanderthal brethren a wide berth of possibilities for sure. There are some wild motherfuckers, let me tell you. But in the post-caveman days, we actually did do a lot of good things to help ourselves out. We developed reason from the Greeks and higher moral purpose from organized religion, which continued to evolve our country and the world upwards and onwards, at least for the most part. We were able to organize, but organize things. Those groups were able to tell us things about one another and forces into groups and hierarchies in order to group together for the common purpose of uniting both the group and the individual in a harmonious bond, if optimal. These reasons began to culminate and settle into things called values. I talk about them a little bit if you're a new reader. Just a little. 
Regardless, they play an incredibly important role within our lives, and they should be constantly assessed and made aware of. We should not simply confirm the values that we already hold. We should put them under a microscope, challenge them, examine them, and do everything we can at every chance to get them put to the test. But it is sometimes this exact process that causes confusion. We can sometimes get so wrapped up in our values that they become something like a passion, something that we desperately cling to to serve some kind of virtuous salvation, without even taking into context what it is and what it means. There is no deeper analysis than that usually, and this is not good. There are questions that you must ask yourself. What do you actually value and why? The answers may surprise you. Most people think that they value things that are flashy and popular, like taking bomb-ass business trips and eating steak off some girl's ass like Eddie Murphy. But it is most likely, either fortunately or unfortunately, not these things. It is most likely something bubbling underneath the surface that would contain what you actually value. Something that you don't like to admit, but we all know is true. You're boring as shit. This is never an easy pill to swallow, at least for most. I live a, quote, very boring lifestyle to most. But I love it. I'm productive. I do what's valuable to me, and I'm not a total hermit. I'm in solitary confinement of my own routine, but yet many others judge me for being so strict. My question to them is, why is your life so exciting? What do you have to prove to yourself? Why can't you take a chill pill and sink into your values for a half a second? People don't like to realize it, but this is what they most likely need to do. We're all not Dan Bilzerian, and even he needs several shots of HGH and Roman swipes to function every single day. I would not want that lifestyle. Life mostly breaks down to, into, the, into the boring and the mundane. Do not run from it. Do not shy from it. Embrace it, love it, live it. Think about it. You probably get up around 6 or 7 a.m. in the morning, go to work and school, eat a few meals, go home, relax after a long day, and go to bed on a decent hour for about five days a week. There's not much time for jet-setting and other passion-inducing activities like lighting a sparkler out of your dick or buying a bounce house full of baby oil and strippers. There simply is not enough time in the day, particularly if you're on a trust fund baby. Then shit really gets hard. We are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly act out. And what we repeatedly act out are our values. And our values, if done right, should most likely be boring and stiff and not get us a lot of Instagram clout. That's fine. Let others have what you should not desire. You will be better for it, and they will not be. Life is not fair, so you might as well play the game that is, is, gives you, makes, makes it favors you Excuse me, at the end of the day. You know the right decisions to be made, so make them. That's truly some Machiavellian shit right there. But what's not Machiavellian is avoiding excess. Excess, like we've talked about numerous times, dilutes value. There is almost nothing that personifies excess more than passion. Passion is excess taken to the nth degree and shown out for all the world to see. When you invest so deeply into something that you can become entrenched in that one thing, you lose sight on all of the other things going on in your life that could be adding value, which are, hint, the boring things. What we need to do is run from the excess. Run, force, run. All that shit. We need not deal with excess at all. It's an awful thing. One should, we should avoid at almost all costs. Passion is one of the highest forms of excess and also should be avoided because it's a, tra it's a trap. It's a lie. You should not have an overwhelming passion. You should strive for balance in all that you do. This is not to say that you can't be inspired by something like a good book or something that you see on Instagram that isn't horrifically toxic for you and your well-being. I do it all the time. It's where I get my ideas for most of these posts and these podcasts. I see something in a book that triggers my mind in a good way, combine it with something that I've recently been thinking about and formulate a thesis. 
After all, the idea usually forms itself and I reveal what I like, like to believe is at least totally shit content. You guys can be the judge of that. As is with all creators, we have what we think is a unique process. The things that do not have passion are the things you want to embrace. This is spending time alone, or with a couple of good friends or your family, or doing something that aligns with your values and that enriches your sense of the world and all its wonder. This blog and this podcast is my avenue to do that. I have plans to do more of it in the future. Hopefully, announcements coming soon. Not everyone should start a blog or a business or pile drive hours out of your week just to show people that you can do it. That's not good. That's falling into the trap of passion. Do what works for you and work with that. Not everyone is a leader. Hardly any are. But you can lead your own life without succumbing to the traps that await you should you fall down the wrong path. As the secular has dominated society not only in faith but in reason, there is more incentive than ever to succumb to passion, to forsake your daily responsibilities to go for the one big thing, to reach your destiny. But what if your destiny are your responsibilities? If they are so, and they are so, then your passion should be devoted to them. Not to some foreign idol, but to the one in front of you. Not the one that is far away, but the one that is close and needs your attention. When you make yourself fully immersed in the being of your evolution, you forsake passion for the evolution of your whole self through those responsibilities. Gone will be the days where you simply go on one path. When you begin your trek down this one, several will open up. You need not worry about people telling you what is right for you. You will simply have to let them know that you do not know. And that's perfectly okay. See if Gary Vee can say more shit like that, perhaps I'll like him a little more. But he probably won't, and so I'll just keep saying he's a grifter who makes money from yelling on Instagram. And God bless America for that. Okay, guys, so that's my podcast for this week. That was an interesting episode. I kind of went down a road I didn't really expect with that one. So um, I don't know if you guys like that one or not. I kind of thought it was interesting to kind of see my thoughts on it. I literally haven't looked at that for probably about 14 months at this point, or not 14, uh, 16 months by this point, almost a year and a half. So that was interesting. It's always good to, you know, go back and see your posts and see kind of where you went wrong, where you could have done things better, kind of how you were seeing the world at that point. So that was kind of cool. But uh, until then, guys, you know, we have another new post dropping next week. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Own the day. Open your mind. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Stopping, hopping like a rabbit When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it I lay back in the cut, retain myself Think about the shit and I think it well How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?